Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. You know, we do something every single week, you guys. Uh, we, we've always done this. It's just part of our heritage as, as Christian men that want to lead well. Uh, we, we get together as leaders right before the class starts at 6.30, and we're over there in that little vestibule area right inside the sanctuary, and we're on our knees, and we're praying for you. Uh, we do that every week. So we start at 6.30, we pray for 20 minutes, and we just pray for you guys. We pray for our groups. We pray for... Uh, safety. We pray that guys will come, um, and the Holy Spirit will speak. And so we just do that because we just want Jesus to fill the space and to fill us and to equip us for the work at hand. And uh, last week, as we sat there and prayed, one of the guys uh, had just lost his dad, and uh, he just started to weep. He broke down, he cried, he was sobbing because when he realized his dad was gone, he also realized it's forever and that his brother doesn't know Jesus and that's forever. And that made him sob because in that moment he knew he didn't want his brother to live eternity in hell. And he was sobbing and begging God that God would save his brother and that he would somehow use him to save his brother. And in that moment I realized you know what we do here every week, you guys? It matters. This isn't trivial. This isn't the difference between watching the Pacers game and not. It really isn't. This has got serious purpose. It has eternal results. There's no second chance. There's no do-over. God's given us one purpose, and he's made it crystal clear that we are to help him save the lost. This work is the work that truly matters. And these results are the ones that God needs us to achieve. He needs us to have an impact. So let me start by asking you this. What results are you achieving that matter to God? We've studied the foundations of being a Christian for the last six weeks. God gave us a clear purpose to make the world his sanctuary. Jesus came. He came to be with us and then he left us and he left his word so it would transform us every time we read it. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us. And then he gave each of us these unique hidden strengths so that we could reach the world in our own unique way. And then Jesus showed us how to live and to train so we could execute those plans well. And tonight, God makes it clear, we have to do our job and we need to deliver some results. We have to stop practicing and we have to start doing the work. The apostle Peter said, God has given us everything we need. Everything we need to have a God-focused impact on the world. So my prayer tonight is that you will gain an intense clarity about your need to have an impact and wake up tomorrow morning ready to get to work. Let's open with prayer, Heavenly Father. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. Lord, I pray as men that we not compare this to the Pacers game. 
It's not even close. This work matters, Lord. Help us sense the importance of it to, that is to you and it is to us, Lord. Raise our focus, raise our intensity, raise our eyes. Change us, Jesus. Get us on track. Fill us with your spirit so we may be emboldened and empowered to do the work. In your name I pray, Jesus, amen. So in Genesis 1, God gave us the mandate, multiply, take dominion, we studied that. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus commands, go and make disciples of all nations. And the idea was to look at those two next to each other and say, wow, Jesus did something with that mandate. He brought clarity to God's original mandate. And it's simply this, every believer is being called to take dominion by doing what? By making disciples. That's the mandate. Why? Because Jesus will return and he's gonna eliminate those who aren't. The ones that aren't disciples will be gone. They will not be here. The only people that are here are gonna be the believers because this planet will become heaven. He brings heaven down, earth gets transformed and the people in heaven are believers. Unbelievers are gone. In Genesis, we see families as the building block of this plan. Christian men are to partner with their wives to save their children. Then we utilize those same skills at work and in our community. We partner with local churches and with other Christians. The mandate of God and the command of Jesus both have a global footprint. Every believer is needed to reach every nation. And Matthew 24 says, listen to this, when the gospel has reached every nation, Jesus will return. I believe, I absolutely believe Jesus is returning in this generation because every nation will hear his name in this generation. And I don't know what the date is because he says no man knows the day or time, but you can see the signs and he tells us when every nation has seen and heard the gospel, I will be back. Guys, when we help make sure every nation has heard the gospel, he's coming back. Yeah, woo! Acts 1.8 says you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's clear the Holy Spirit has been given to every believer. Why? To empower us to share Jesus with unbelievers. This is the impact we are to have on this world. That's it. In Acts 1, they're staring in the clouds as Jesus ascended into heaven. They're just standing there staring. Two angels walk up and say, what are you staring at? Jesus is coming back the same way he left. Up there, back down here, he's coming back the same way. And I think the rest of the story went like this. This is the BIV, the Bill International Version. <laughs> Stop staring. He told you what to do. Get to work. They're staring and they're like, get to work. Guys, he told you what to do, let's go. Are you staring up in the clouds waiting for Jesus? Or are you joyfully working to spread the gospel so that he will return? In John 2, we see the wedding miracle in Cana. Fascinating story, fascinating. In our leaders meeting on Saturday, which we do every Saturday to train so we're ready for tonight, it took 25 minutes for our group to get through that one question. 
We didn't finish, as you can imagine. Train the way we play. <laughs> Not true. We see Jesus ask the servants to fill the jars with water. And then he asked them to serve the wine. They experienced the miracle of water being made into wine. The servants did first. Jesus made wine where no wine existed. God can only do that. Only God can make something exist that didn't exist. The first people to experience the miracle were the poor people, the poorest people, the ones that didn't have control over their own life. They were the first to see the power of God in Jesus Christ, and they got to work alongside of him. And they could see that the power of that miracle was not to, meant to impress the rich people because the rich people had no idea it happened. And it wasn't for him to influence and gain favor because the people he could have gotten favor from had no idea what he did. And what did that say to the poor people? That's the Messiah. That is God. And that's what he wanted to do. Jesus did the miracle to prove his identity and to draw people to him. Miracles are signs that point to the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus often alleviates suffering, but does so to reveal his identity. And this is where the challenge starts for us, you guys. Our impact comes through our service. But if our service doesn't point to Jesus, you've wasted the service. This is what people talk about a lot of times when they say the gospel's being used for social service. That's not what it's meant for. The gospel's meant to point men to Jesus. The service is meant to point people to Jesus. The miracle is meant to point people to Jesus. If you do good deeds, they're meant to point people to Jesus, not to you. Christians serve others to create opportunities so people can see the miracles of Jesus. We serve to point people to Jesus. And when we serve, we get a front row seat to the miracles. And those miracles change us too because our faith gets strengthened and it gets renewed. But we often mistake caring for others as noble work and we forget the greater mandate. And I see this a lot. If we just reduce suffering, gentlemen, listen to this. If all you do is alleviate suffering, you didn't finish the work. You didn't. You didn't. You can feed the hungry, you can clothe the poor, you can do all those good things, but if the name of Jesus is not why you're there, and if the man of Jesus is not who's being presented, you haven't finished the work. You've just started the work. Where can you help alleviate suffering and help people hear the name of Jesus? Also, Jesus did not waste that moment in Cana because it was a wedding. Marriage is the place that most needs Jesus. Married men? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Marriage is the place where we most need Jesus. The devil waged his first attack on Adam and Eve, and he continues that play. It works. He destroys many marriages, and our love for God goes right with it. Only 12% of families in the United States look like what God had originally designed. 
I would say the devil's doing a pretty good job. Marriage is the place where Jesus has the biggest impact. A husband and a wife pursuing Jesus is the primary gospel platform. And when the dad is a strong believer, 75% of families follow Jesus. The statistics bear out exactly what Jesus had designed. Those families will often have the impact on the world that Jesus commanded. Solid families make solid Christians and create disciples. Jesus did not waste the marriage just because it was a party, no, no. His first miracle was to say marriage matters because that's the place where the, the gospel first starts. That's where it gets propagated. That's my design. That's why the miracle was there first. How will your marriage or young men who are dating, how will your relationships impact the world? How will they? In Matthew 10, Jesus made it clear, we must give up our life to follow him. First, Jesus said we must be willing to pursue him and walk away from our family. This amplifies what we learn about the purpose of the family. It's the platform for training, it's not the end game. Jesus said there's no marriages in heaven. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because in heaven, everybody's saved. So the marriage platform and the family is the place where disciples are made and they're propagated. But when heaven's there and we've all been saved, there's no need for that anymore. That's exactly his point. That's exactly what he's trying to prove. I was always great in practice at sports. I mean, I worked my tail off. My coaches loved me. And then I got in the game and I stunk. I got anxious, I played tight, and I always played terrible. I remember the first snap freshman year or sophomore year, I was quarterback, the first snap in a game. I hated putting my hands in that kid's crotch, you know, the, the kid, the, the center, it was just disgusting, I hated it. So they, you had to take the snap. I took the first snap and the offensive lineman reared up because it was a pass play. I couldn't see Jack, nothing. I, it was like there was just a wall of jerseys in front of me. I had no idea what to do, and, that, and so began my failed football career. <laughs> Men who love to practice but never play a game are useless. It was just like Peter. He tried to walk on the water, he got scared, and he sank. Men who love to practice but never play a game are useless. Jesus did not tell us to abandon our families. That's not what he said. Families are a critical part of God's plan, critical. On the other hand, it cannot be an excuse to avoid reaching the lost. Men who hide behind family obligations are sneaky. It's an easy way to avoid the mandate, yet look busy and on task. Children will never learn their purpose if you avoid yours. Our family strengthens our resolve to make the planet God's sanctuary. Families are the training center and the place where we get emotionally restored. Our relationships there are critical. They are the pathway to a relationship with Jesus and that's the relationship that matters. That's the training ground. The relationship with Jesus is the game and that's what we're trying to get to. Don't get caught playing in your family and forgetting to play to bring people to Jesus. That's his point in this text. How have you been using your family or your busy schedule as an excuse to avoid serving Jesus? His second thought in this text, Jesus said we must take up our cross daily. The cross 
is where we sacrifice what we hold most dear. It was a symbol of Roman persecution. It was the most heinous way to kill somebody was on the cross. Romans were outstanding at it. So Jesus points to that and says, that's how dead you gotta make it. You gotta sacrifice what you hold most dear to follow me. Guys, we can give the only true thing we can to Jesus. We've got one thing that we can give him and that's our free will. We freely give Jesus our choice to run our own play. That's all you have to give him each day and that's exactly what he wants. He wants to have a significant impact on the world and he wants to do it with his play, not yours. He wants to use his plan, not your plan. Our plan's gonna have minimal impact. His will have maximum impact. We can't see what God can see. He knows all the connections. He knows where all the needs are. He has all the power. He has all the resources. He sees the bigger picture. So why do you wanna keep running your play? God knows when Jesus will return and who's left that needs to be reached. Do you know those things? Jesus said, crucify yourself every morning. The dead, <laughs> you'll become alive after you die. The dead you will become alive when Jesus gets control of your day. Die and then come alive and Jesus will be the one in control. His play each day will involve you somehow connecting people to him. So when you say this morning, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna run that play today, Jesus, I'm just gonna do it. Just watch, he will bring you to somebody. I guarantee you, tomorrow somebody will come in your path and he's gonna say, tell him, tell her, talk to them, pray with them, love them, do it, right? It's gonna happen. I saw it today, I got an email today. So my sons happen to work in the business with her. We got a lot of people, I get emails all day long. And I got an email that passed through my desk and uh, somebody was giving Kyle a kudo and saying, hey Kyle, well played. And I'm right now, well Kyle did something good, finally, this is great. Um, no, just kidding Kyle. <laughs> no, Kyle's a great employee. But I was reading it, it was just so inspiring because the, the, the email said this. Kyle, thank you for praying for me. I'm really sick right now. It's a customer of ours, you guys, one of our biggest customers, and the lady's really sick. And Kyle, she said something in an email about being sick, and Kyle said, how can I pray for you today? And she said, do this. I can't believe you would pray for me. I heard you have chaplains and you guys pray over there. I can really use that. I was so proud of him. I'm like, that's what it looks like, you guys. When you get up in the morning and say, today, God, I'm running your play. However, wherever, whatever I'm doing, just I'll do it. I, I just wanna be there. And I promise you, that's what will happen. Those things will become clear to you. You'll see them in ways you never saw them before because you're ready for that. You're eager to see it. You wanna find it. You wanna be in the game. I wanna be used, God. I wanna be in the miracle. I wanna see what happens. I wanna watch wine. I wanna serve people with cool wine. I wanna do this stuff. You'll have that passion and he'll put you right in there and it will happen to you. I'm telling you it will. Serving people, giving to people, caring for people, listening to people, every action driving towards one goal, introduce them to Jesus. That's what he wants you to do, that's simple. All day long, be consumed by that. How can you give up one of your plays this week to be more obedient to Jesus? How? In Timothy 6, 17, uh, 17 through 19, I wanna read it. It's about money. So I live around money a lot, so I, I struggle. I can't manage the budget at home, 
because I have a company that has a big budget. And so I sign checks and then I get home and my wife gives me these checks and says, this is a lot of money to fix this. I'm like, oh, just pay it. Well, no big deal, right? And so she's like, you get, get out of the budget. You, you have no idea what you're talking about, right? So my, I'm distorted around money, I am. And so these texts are really important to me. They really help me. So I wanna read them to you too, because I think they're just really important. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, which who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul teaches us the attitude we should have about money. We're told not to be arrogant or put our hope in money. So where does arrogance come from with money? It comes from the recognition we get by having more of it. And the more you get, the more recognition you get. I'm telling you. You get in different circles, you get around different people, you get elevated in the crowds that wanna to talk to you, and you get arrogant because of that. That's what happens. It's what happens. One of my good friends is a doc here, and uh, he called me and we were talking about this very topic, and he said, hey, be careful, Bill, when you get to a certain stage at your age and you have a little more money, people start asking you to do things you probably shouldn't be doing. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, taking these exotic trips and drinking a little too much stuff. And he's like, trust me, it starts to happen. Just be careful. And when you start getting those temptations, call me and I'll help talk you off the ledge, right? You get arrogant. Trusting in money becomes second nature because it does fix a lot. So as you start getting money, you start to be able to do things and you don't need anybody because you can fix almost everything on your own. It just takes a little more money. Well, I got a little more money. And pretty soon, you know who you don't trust? Jesus. Trusting money makes it really hard to trust Jesus. But God created the concept of currency. Not us, he did. So money can be used in incredible ways. Money has a huge impact on the kingdom of God. It's been used to build countless churches, schools, and hospitals. Thousands of missionaries all over the world, including Paul, were funded by generous not arrogant, giving Christians. I've seen firsthand how Christians have used their wealth the right way. Paul tells us to use wealth for good deeds. Money is a tool God uses for his work. He loves to see us help people who are suffering. He loves that. He loves it when we care for those who need help. And Paul says, pursuing money for comfort and pleasure isn't necessary. If you read these verses, read them carefully. He says, it's not necessary. He says, God provides all we need for enjoyment. So you can interpret that as, well, everything you've got is for enjoyment, or you can read it another way and say, God provides all I need for enjoyment. I don't have to use everything he gave me for enjoyment. He gives me all I need for enjoyment, which means I don't have to supplement what he provides, <laughs> right? If he gave you enough for enjoyment, then just use that enough for enjoyment. You don't need to supplement it and make it even better. You don't have to supersize it. You don't have to move to the front of the plane every time. You don't have to go to the five-star uh, restaurant. You don't have to do that every time, do you? That's what he's talking about. You don't have to supplement. He gives you all you need for enjoyment. Money must stay connected to God's mandate. 
It's really easy to give money and feel really good about yourself. Saw this so incredibly when I was in Uganda. I was working with Scotty. We were working in this one area. Uh, we were going up to Gulu on the north side. We were doing a bunch of stuff there, working with this hospital, trying to get this cattle thing going for milk. And this guy came and said, hey, you guys got to join me. I'm going up to Gulu. We do this every year. We bring two truckloads of corn seed. And he said, there's 40,000 people that come out for this corn seed. And he said, it's unbelievable opportunity. And so we said, well, tell us more. And so he had videos of this thing. And what was in fact happening was he became God. He was being worshiped. They didn't hear anything about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus, but the people didn't care. All they knew is he just gave them enough corn to make money for them for the whole rest of the year. And every year he came back and did that, he was God to them. They trusted him, they depended on him. He was their, they, he was their source for their nourishment. They didn't hear a word he said about Jesus and didn't care anything about it except that he was coming back next year with more corn. He put himself in the position of God. When you give the wrong way, that's what happens. And I learned that in Africa in droves. Had a woman named Margaret Aloya. We were going up to her village and it was up in, uh, in, in a different part of Uganda. And she said to me, Bill, I know guys like you. I'm like, I've heard this before. My pastor said that to me not too long ago. And she said, you guys all come here with a lot of money in your pocket and you think you can fix Africa. And all you gotta do is do what you do back home and it all gets fixed and it all works out. And she said, it doesn't work that way here, so don't do that. And so I'm gonna be real clear with you, Bill. She spoke very good English, it was very clear. If you pull anything out of your pocket, if you hand anything to these children or these people, you'll never work with me ever again, ever. I'll never talk to you again, I'll never work with you again. These people need to work for what they need. They don't need you giving them anything because the white man's been coming here, the Mzungu's been coming to Africa for 50 years and you've robbed us of our dignity because you just give it to us and we never learn to work and it's killing our country, so stop doing that. And it took my breath away. I mean, she's, she's, she's raising her voice, we're in the car, she's inches from my face telling me this and I'm like, I had never gotten a lesson like that on money in my life and I've never forgotten it. So when you think about it, be careful when you give, that it's not about you, and it's just not about you making people like you or think you're something great. And even if it's anonymous and you go home at night and you feel really good and you're getting to go to bed, gotta ask yourself, when I gave that gift, did somebody truly come to know Jesus? Did it move somebody towards Jesus? Because if it didn't, then maybe that gift was really about you and not about him. Our wealth should energize us to share Jesus, it should. God gave us whatever wealth we have because he wants us to use it for him. It's his money given to us to tell his story. How can you use your money in such a way that it emboldens you to talk about Jesus as you give generously. So you put the two together, it's just like serving. I serve and I share. I give and I share. You don't separate them. You don't separate sharing and giving from the mandate. The mandate stands. Go, make disciples, take dominion. The mandate stands. You share and you give according to the mandate. It's to point 
people to Jesus, not to you. Let me close with this story. Anita Smith went to Benghazi, Libya, with her husband Ronnie to share the gospel to a people that were ravaged by war. Ronnie was teaching chemistry to pay the bills as a platform for Jesus. And in December of 2013, a year and a half after he and his wife got there, armed gunmen shot Ronnie to death in the street as he went out on a jog. One week later, his wife Anita wrote a letter to the people of Libya. It was published in the local paper. She said, I love those men and I forgive them for murdering my husband. She wanted them to know the power of forgiveness that comes from Jesus and that Jesus had the power to heal their nation if they would just believe in him. Her story was published throughout the entire world and you can find it today, CNN, NBC, any print you wanna find it and you'll find this story, all had it. The Muslim world shared on countless newspapers and TV channels, even Al Jazeera. She reached millions of Muslims with the gospel of forgiveness. And some say that that was the greatest single outreach to the Muslims in the history of Christian evangelism. She truly believed in her mission to reach the lost. She sacrificed a nice life in Austin, Texas for Libya. She gave up her husband and the father to her son, a little boy. When I heard this story, I was challenged. My son Taylor and Kyle both shared it with me. And it made me really think, what am I really focused on each day? And in all honesty, today my deepest concern was getting this talk right. I lost sleep with a little anxiety, feeling I really wasn't that prepared. I don't wake up weeping for the people in my family that will go to hell. The second coming of Jesus is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. The disciples were obsessed with it. They had one focus, and that was bringing people to Jesus. In Revelation 19, the second coming, followed by the judgment of every single purpose, is described in detail. Those who are not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his demons. Right now, some of my family will be going there. I don't weep like our leader did last week. I don't really weep over the state of my brothers and I'm not sure why. Our mission, gentlemen, is to reach the lost because judgment is coming. And joyfully, right after the judgment, heaven is coming to earth. Jesus is waiting for us to finish sharing the gospel so he can bring heaven to earth where all who believe will be with him forever. Guys, we gotta finish the job. He's counting us to get results and have an impact. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you. Jesus, we lose focus so fast. We get so caught up in the playing of life that we just don't even think about what the disciples thought about every single day was you coming back. 
and that as many as we could possibly reach would be reached. We just don't even think about it. Weeks go by and we don't even care. Dear Father, break our hearts tonight. Please get us back on track. Focus us on what really matters. Eternity's around the corner. You're coming soon. Raise the intensity of our souls. Focus our minds on the purpose. Help us, Jesus. Do the work you've called us to do. In your name I pray. Amen. Gentlemen, have a great week. And please lift your eyes and get to work.